Uh, If you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. This is the Word of God. And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Amen. Let's seek the Lord and ask him to bless his word. Gracious God and Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for your great goodness towards us. Thank you for the Lord's Day Sabbath. We thank you that you have ordered it for our good, for the good of your precious people. We pray that you would bless the preaching and teaching of your word today. If you do not build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Help me to speak as I ought to speak. Help these dear people to receive the implanted word with meekness and diligently to put it into practice. For your namesake, we pray through Christ. Amen. 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 The title of this message is Love One Another in Christ. Love One Another in Christ. So that you understand what I mean by love one another in Christ. In particular, what I'm talking about is that love which has to do with who we are. It has to do with our identity. It has to do with our relationship to Christ and our relationship to one another. You see, we must be instructed and constantly reminded who we are in order for us to be what we are called to be. Sadly. We can so easily forget who we are. And when we do, we are prone to live like we should not. We are the temple of God. Of whom Christ is the chief cornerstone. We are the body of Christ. Whom he is the head. We are the household of God. A family. A brotherhood. It is crucial to know and embrace what we are, or it will be impossible to do what we are called to do, namely, love one another. This is fundamental, foundational to our love for one another. So then, I would like to consider this theme of loving one another in Christ under three points. Point one, Christ's gifts, the work of pastors. Point two, Christ's body, the work of the church. And point three, Christ's love, 
self-sacrifice. Now, in thinking about our life together, brethren, there are two great evils. Two great evils that are constantly seeking to undermine our love for one another. Two love killers. And to the degree that these evils are allowed to run amok in the church, it is to that degree the nerve of our ministering to one another in love will be severed. Albert Martin once referred to these two great evils as evangelical sacerdotalism and anti-clericalism. What is that? What is evangelical sacerdotalism? Well, sacerdotalism is in essence an inordinate dependence on spiritual leadership. You see this most apparently in the Roman Catholic cult where priests and the Pope, they are the elite. They are the religious specialists. They are the holy ones who do the holy things and everyone else is second rate. In their system, if you need to confess your sins, you go to the priest. If you need absolution, you go to the priest. If you need permission, you go to the priest. According to the Catholic mindset, they are the ones who do the ministering. Evangelical sacerdotalism is that same kind of abnormal and unhealthy dependence. But instead of priests being the object of it. It is rather an excessive dependence upon the pastors of the church. The idea is that is the pastor's job. Let the pastors handle it. I'm just a member. I'm just a normal Christian. What can I do? Personally, I believe that within elder-led churches, which is biblical and good and right, people can be prone to that sort of excess. To the point where we become passive, indifferent, or lazy in the work of the ministry. And then the other evil, anti-clericalism. Anti-clericalism is an extreme on the other side of the spectrum. Anti-clericalism is an opposition to religious authority. Anti-clericalism on the other side says, I don't need a pastor. I have Jesus. He is my pastor. I don't need to submit to any authority in the church. I'm a Christian. I have my Bible. I can think for myself. I don't agree with the pastor in this matter, so I will refuse to hear him. Brothers and sisters, because of remaining sin in us, we may at one time or another swerve back and forth between these two evils. Our flesh, our remaining corruption is prone to these ditches. In one form or another. If we allow ourselves to give in to this type of thinking. In any degree. It is to that degree we will fall into a ditch. And terrible misery. If we forget who we are. We will fail to love one another in Christ. As we are called to. How we see each other. And how we relate to one another. In the church is fundamental to loving one another in Christ. And few passages in the Bible can compete with Ephesians chapter 4 when it comes to its import concerning how we understand who we are and how to relate to one another in the church. Ephesians 4 takes the axe to the root of evangelical sacerdotalism. It takes the root to anti-clericalism. So point one, Christ's gifts. 
the work of pastors. Verse 11 says, And he himself, speaking of the risen and glorified Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. This text makes it impossible to consider the church without taking into account the reality of a certain official class of men given to lead and to teach the church. It is according to the risen Lord's vision for his precious people and for the upbuilding of that body that he has given gifts to the church. And the gifts of Christ to the church in particular that we should in this day recognize, honor, and give thanks for are the gifts of pastors and teachers. There is no place for the sadly common self-willed attitude that says along with those rebellious sons of destruction in old times who said, you take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? It's number 16. The sons of Korah. And the Lord answered the wicked sons of Korah and the hundreds of men, leaders of the congregation, mind you, leaders of the congregation, men of renown. The Lord answered them in judgment. And he caused the earth to open wide its mouth and swallowed them whole along with the women, their children, and all that they possessed. Brethren, we must beware of any form of anti-clericalism. True love warns us. Beware of that attitude that says, are we not all believers? Do we not all have the Spirit? I really don't need men to rule over me or lead me in the way that I should go. Jesus is my shepherd. Beware of that in your own heart. Many of us would would never dare to let something like that come out of our mouth. But down deep in our hearts, we can be tempted to think that way, to undermine biblical authority or to be unnecessarily critical of spiritual leadership. We should never tolerate this attitude that says, you pastors, you do your thing. Preach, yes. Plan, yes. Serve, yes. But meddle in the details of my life? No, sir. I can figure out just fine on my own. I can read my own Bible. I can refer to my own commentaries. I have no need to be subject to pastoral oversight or care. That is not according to the mind of Christ for his people. Jesus never imagined the life of the church separate from qualified, gifted, and called men ruling, leading, overseeing, and instructing his bride as his under-shepherds. Right? He, Hebrews 13, 7, we are to remember those who rule over us, who have spoken the word of God to us. We are to follow their faith, considering the outcome of their conduct. Moreover, Verse 17 in Hebrews 13. We are called by the risen Savior to obey those who rule over us. To be submissive. For they watch out for our souls as those who must give an account. We are to let them do so with joy and not grief. Knowing that they are but men. With all of their weaknesses. With all of their faults, no doubt. Knowing that the best man is a man at best. We are called to love them. 
to honor them, to pray for them, to submit to them, to follow them and support them as much as depends upon us and to our utmost ability. There's no place for anti-clericalism in the church of Jesus Christ. And let there be no refuge for it in our own heart or attitude as well. They are called, if you just think about what they are called to do, they are called to shepherd the flock of God which was purchased with Christ's own precious blood. And one day our pastors will be called to give an account to God, to their master, for how they have led and cared for his precious people. We should never cease to pray for them. We should never cease to pray for them, knowing that they will encounter a greater judgment, knowing that they are the special objects of Satan's hatred and that the wicked one loves little more than when a man who has been called to lead the church falls before the eyes of the congregation. Not, and not only that, not only is he on the front line, but his family is there with him also. The labor and toil, the sacrifice, the love and service. The office that Christ has bestowed on such an unworthy and insufficient man ought to engender in us a heart of gratitude and honor for the gift of Christ. So love your pastors, love your pastors in Christ. In the text before us, we're not only told that there's a special class of men that are given to shepherd the people of God, but we're also reminded what one of their primary duties in the church is to be. And that is the solemn endeavor of equipping, the equipage. In verse 12, Christ gave some to be pastors and teachers for equipping the saints, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Their laboring, according to the text, is not to be the only ones who are doing the work of the ministry. But rather, they're to pour themselves out into the lives of the people of God so that the body will then, in turn, minister to itself in love. This is the wisdom of the church's chief shepherd. And it's designed to put to death evangelical sacerdotalism. Ephesians 4 teaches us one of the primary purposes of the pastoral office and the means by which that end is reached. That purpose is the equipping or perfecting of the saints unto their ministering, unto their serving one another in the church, then unto the outside world, not, not backwards. It's the pastors equip the saints the saints do the work of the ministry amongst one another and then to the outside world. So often that is flipped around and the Great Commission becomes the only mission. But the Great Commission is not the only mission that the church is given. Here we are told, we are given a Great Commission and we are called to go out and preach the gospel. But we must minister to one another so that then the church will be built up to be able to go out and minister to the lost and dying world outside the church. This is Christ's economy in the church. This is his gracious giving of the gifts of pastors and teachers in order that they would equip the whole body to, that, to the end that the people of God would serve one another unto their upbuilding and perfection. 
This should powerfully persuade us that there is therefore no quarter, nowhere to hide, no safe place for an attitude of indifference, selfishness, or laziness in ministering to the brotherhood. That is why God has given us, one of the reasons why God has given us pastors is so that then we'll be, we will be furnished to minister to one another, to serve one another. In other words, the people of God have a work to do in the church. You may, you may not be, be leading and singing the hymns. You may not be preaching and teaching. You may not be doing the bulletin or, or leading in worship. But you have a work to do. You have a gift that has been given to you. If you are in the body of Christ, we are Christ's body. Ministering to the saints is the work of the whole church, not just the pastors. So point two, Christ's body, the work of the church. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, there is no place for that evil of evangelical sacerdotalism in the body of Christ. In order for the body of Christ to be mature, perfected, complete, in order for the body of Christ to be conformed into the image of Christ, in order for the body of Christ to be joined and knit together, in order for the church to be edified and built up, it takes the whole body, not one missing. It takes every part that every single individual member is doing its share. That is clearly what the text is saying. That is how it's built up. Every, what every joint supplies, every part doing its share causes the growth, causes the edification, causes the body to be built up. We are the body of Christ. We're united to Christ the head and united to one another through him. Every part, every person, every soul, every member doing its own share is essential to the church's peace, perseverance, and prosperity. If one of the members of the body suffers, then we all suffer. You can't get away from this. This is just the way that it is. If one of the members of the body are lacking, then we are all lacking something. If one is weak, then we are all weak. Our decisions, so think practically, our decisions, our sins, our struggles affect the body. When we are not present with the body, you know, when you say things like that during a sermon, you always wonder who's not present because usually the, one who's, the ones who are not always present, you know, they're the ones who need to hear that the most. But if we are here, it's for God to, it's for God to, it's God who wants us to hear that today. When we are not present with the body, when the body gathers together, something is missing. We all, as members of one another, members of the body of Christ, need each other. We are interdependent, dependent upon God, yes, but we are dependent on one another. Don't ever allow yourselves to believe the lie, and it is a lie, that says, I am not important to the life of the church. 
usually you have to you have to be discerning usually that is an argument used to justify some form of selfishness or laziness don't believe the lie that sounds like this i don't need to be with the people of god to that degree usually that is a manifestation of pride or self-reliance you separate yourself from the body you think that you can handle things on your own the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 21, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, again, you see that individual, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would be the body? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, we need each other. We need each other more than we understand. And we must be reminded that we are a body composed of individual members. God has placed us in the body of Christ in a unique way for his purpose and for his glory. He has given each one of us a part to play. He has given each one of us specific gifts of the spirit, gifts of grace to exercise in the church for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. If a member of the body is not present with the body, then the body will suffer lack. If a member of the body is not actively exercising and ministering the gift that God has given to them for the body, then the body suffers lack. And I would say, if we are not with the body and ministering to one another in love, we are robbing each other of grace. Grace that God intends us to have as a church 1 Peter 4, 7-11 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For, the, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift. You see that individual, particular member. Each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anybody speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in this text there are several important statements. First, the exhortation to godliness is urged in light of the coming of Christ in glory. The end of all things is at hand. The judge is at the door. The master is coming to settle his accounts. 
and amidst the works of righteousness that the faithful are required by God. Fervent love for one another in ministering grace through the exercise of our gifts is plain. But to what end? But to what end? In order that, or to the end that, in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In other words, you can, in this place, from this pulpit, preach sound doctrine faithfully week in and week out. You can start Christian schools and pregnancy crisis centers. You can go from house to house and door to door, preaching the gospel to the lost until the soles of your shoes run thin. You can be doing all of these things, which are good things, things that we ought to do if it's in our power to do. But if we do not in love minister to one another in the church, God will not be glorified in the church. If we do not exercise our gifts of grace towards one another, if we do not serve one another by the power that the Spirit supplies, if we do not love one another fervently, God will not be glorified through Jesus Christ in the church. That, Peter says, plain. We are called to be knit together in love. We are a family, brothers and sisters in the Lord, living stones, being built up into a dwelling place for the Spirit. We are the body of Christ, members of one another. Dependent on one another, indebted to one another, graciously gifted for the good of one another. Now, if you consider what it means to be knit together, when something is knit, all of the strands are tied together in such a way that if one thread is pulled out, the whole fabric will come apart. Unlike when something is woven. If something is woven, you can just pull the string and it's as if nothing happened. My brothers and sisters, we are knit together and we're called to be knit together. And you can't escape that reality. If one died for all, then all died. And if you touch one of us, you touch us all. If something affects one of us, it affects us all for good or for ill. Let us embrace that reality and live as we are in the Lord. Being present with one another being involved in each other's lives, spending quality time with one another, ministering our gifts unto the edification of each other is how we will become more knit together in love for the glory of God. Let us love one another in Christ. And if we will truly love one another in Christ, then we must have the mind of Christ. We must love according to the pattern of Christ. We must have the same heart disposition as Christ. So point three is Christ's pattern, self-love. When every part does its share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Love. What is love? Love is so confused in the world today. People love hamburgers just as, just as they love their wives. What is love? Our own heart disposition towards God and towards one another is absolutely essential to our truly ministering to one another, to our edification, to our perfection, and to our glorifying God in the body. In other words, you can come to church, 
You can come to prayer meeting. You can serve and labor and toil in the church till you have calluses on your hands and bags under your eyes, only to find that you are laboring all in vain because your heart is not rightly ordered. Your heart is not rightly motivated and your heart is not engaged. You know, it reminds me of the people that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of, those Pharisees. They draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is not the case with our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember him. His face was set like flint. He had an unwavering determination to do what the Father had instructed him to do. It was his meat and his drink to do the will of the Father because of love. The love of the Father to the Son and the love of the Son to the Father constrained the Lord Jesus to obey and to fulfill his God-given purpose in the world. It was the good pleasure of Jesus Christ to lay down his precious life a ransom price to save us from our sins because of love. The love that the Father set upon us before the foundation of the world and the merciful love of Christ toward us who believe compelled our Savior to come down from heaven, to take to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, to suffer the shameful, cursed death of the cross, enduring the wrath of God in our stead. Like the hymn says, all for love's sake became he poor. That is love. The humble, selfless, and sacrificial love of Christ for us. This great love with which Christ has loved us. It is that which should ultimately motivate us to love one another. That is the fuel that the Christian life runs on. His love for you describes the kind of love that you are to have for each other. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2.21 The heart, if you think of the heart of Christ, the God-man, the darling of heaven, the heart of Christ was appropriately instructed. It was rightly motivated and it was fully engaged as he did the work that the Father gave him to do. So then let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. He became of no reputation. He took the form of a slave, a bondservant. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came for you. He came to do you good beyond imagination. Therefore, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each of us esteem others better than ourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. And Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, as we conclude this morning, we have considered together two great evils that undermine our love and unity. 
the evils of anti-clericalism and evangelical sacerdotalism. We have seen the antidote, the antidote to these diseases and the wisdom of Christ in ordering the church the way that he has. He has given pastors to shepherd, care, and equip the church. He has given every member of his body grace and gift to minister to itself. He has given his church the greatest motivation to love and the greatest example of love that we should follow in his selfless footsteps one towards another. So then, let us take heed to ourselves as pastors. We must consider these things. Do we see ourselves rightly? Do we see our authority rightly, our duties rightly in light of the word of God? Do we see the church? Do we, do we deal with the church as we ought to? Are we seeking by all means to equip the people of God so that they may be furnished unto the ministering of one another? How do we fall short in this? How can we be more faithful in this and as members of the body of Christ? Do we recognize the temptations or the patterns of thinking that would lead us into rebellion against or, or to uncharitable criticism of legitimate biblical leadership and authority? Do we see how easy it can be to have the mindset that the work of the ministry is strictly the work of the pastors? Do we acknowledge how easy it can be to forget that it takes the whole body of Christ and every part of that body doing its share in order for our edification and for God to be glorified? Would we agree with those things? Do we agree that all have been gifted by the Spirit to serve one another? That we have a stewardship from God, a solemn obligation required of us by God? Are we all, I hope we are, are we all of the persuasion that Christ Jesus himself, his love, his sacrifice, is not only our example, but our power, our power, our motivation. If so, then we must ask ourselves, how? How am I going to love? How am I going to serve? How am I going to equip? How am I going to edify? We must put shoe leather to our desires, shoe leather, leather to our conviction, shoe leather to our prayers. How am I going to love my brothers and sisters in Christ? A few recommendations. To begin with, you should start by giving yourself, if you have not already, and if you have, this is just so that you will excel all the more. You should start giving yourself up to and prioritizing being with the people of God when they gather to worship on the Lord's day. And for weekly prayer meeting. Prioritize it. Give yourself to it. Make it a non-negotiable. How can we really love one another when we are not involved in each other's lives? How can we minister our gift or edify our brethren if we do not spend intentional, meaningful, quality time together? Our time is short on this earth and time flies very fast. How can we minister our gift? The Lord Jesus has warned us in the latter days because of lawlessness. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 
Let this never be the case with us, brethren. Let us love one another in Christ. What will we allow to keep us from loving one another in Christ? What kept Jesus from loving us and loving us unto the end? Nothing. Nothing. Let us close in prayer. Gracious and merciful Father, we bless you. We bless your word. We thank you for this chapter, this book of Ephesians. We pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to love one another in Christ. Your wisdom is high above the heavens. The earth is your footstool. We submit ourselves to your mind, Lord. Please cause the gospel to reign in our hearts. Cause us to constantly remember the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial love, his giving of himself. And use that precious gem to fuel our love. Use it to instruct us in the way that we should go. Strengthen us by gospel grace to do what you've called us to do. In Christ's name.